Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever in the world you are from. Welcome to First Responder Friday. My name is Conrad Weaver. I'm your host for the program, and we're going to have a great conversation today. In just a few minutes, I'm going to introduce our guest, and I think you'll really enjoy our conversation this morning. If you are wondering what is First Responder Friday, well, first, I want to say I am not a first responder, but I'm a friend of first responders, and I'm producing a documentary called PTSD 911. And it's a story about first responders who are dealing with the trauma in their life uh, due to a, a variety of things, including some of the traumas they've experienced on the job. And so uh, if you haven't seen our trailer, go to our website. It is PTSD911movie. I'll give you a little uh, peek at it here. And this is the website, PTSD911movie. You scroll down, you can see our trailer that's pretty amazing and you can learn all about the film about our board of advisors who got some really amazing people on our board who are helping us tell this story and we you can also see the people that have endorsed us and you can if you want to see back episodes of first responder friday here they are they're all right here on the website ptsd911movie.com and I encourage you to go there, check it out. And uh, you can also, uh, if you feel so led, you can make a donation to the film. Just click on the Honor a First Responder button right there on the homepage. And it'll take you to a page where you can uh, give us a donation for the film to help us get this film made. So, And, and also, if you're on Instagram, hop over to our Instagram page, PTSD911movie at Instagram. And you'll see all kinds of cool stuff, including this last week. Uh, was Fallen Firefighter Weekend, uh, and unfortunately this year, because of COVID, Fallen Firefighter Weekend did not happen in real person, you know, uh, it was virtual, like a lot of things are, and, but we had this amazing drum and fife, drum and, I don't know what to call them, the pipe corps came through our town, and they performed right in front of the Vigilant Hose Company, our fire company here in town. It was pretty amazing. I have a link, I have a clip there on Instagram. So head over to Instagram and follow us there. I'd really appreciate it. And But today, we have a very special guest with us. And I want to introduce him in just a minute. Matthew Damiancic is, he served as a police officer right here in the D.C. area for a while, and he worked where he worked patrol, peer support, SWAT, was a full-time police academy instructor. He was also the wellness coordinator for his agency, where he integrated sports, nutrition, strength and conditioning, combatives, stress management, heart rate monitors, and scenario training long before the tactical athlete concept became widely popular. Matt also worked as the strength and conditioning coach at Georgetown, so don't mess with him. He's built. And Georgetown and Yale Universities. And prior to coaching, Matt played linebacker and was a competitive power lifter for the Air Force Academy and Colgate University. And he is a graduate of the West Point Leadership Course for Law Enforcement and uh, enforce, for Law Enforcement. And he has a master's degree. Now get this, in pastoral theology sports psychology, and forensic science. So, you know, he's really a guy you don't want to mess with, but we're privileged to have him on the program today, all the way from sunny Southern California. Welcome, Matt, to the show. Thank you. So, man, you got quite a legacy of uh, accomplishments there. And to tell me a little bit about your story, 
what what I mean, how'd you get in in uh, into law enforcement oh well i thought i wanted to be a fed and it's a much longer story but during my forensic science grad school i did an internship at a contract training facility where i got to train with a lot of special forces guys for three months just sniper school repelling different combat shooting and i liked the enlisted sf guys and i got along with the swat teams that came through and the feds that came through no offense weren't that good at shooting or fighting <laughs> and the ones that and the ones that were cool said they had much more fun when they were a cop and same in grad school i just didn't jive with some of the federal agents so the ones i did said be a cop it's much more fun so i did a lot of discerning um decided not to go federal was in corporate america for a bit and was miserable and my faith has always been important to me and i thought someday i want to be either a psychologist or be in full-time ministry and i thought what better way to do ministry than be a cop because everybody your meetings having a bad day hmm. and i grew up in pittsburgh and ohio suburbs mom and dad are still married 50 years i haven't been around hardship so i can go study about things but i don't necessarily have the experience with it and i have friends that are therapists that have just undergrad grad school therapy and they didn't experience it so to be a cop you can get an opportunity to love on people in crisis every day and you also get to still be on a team wear a uniform get your adrenaline get your hot calls so i just thought being a cop was the greatest way to do ministry and that's really reader's digest how i ended up a cop yeah so you were how long were you in law enforcement just under 10 years mm -hmm. And what kind of things did you experience there? Did you uh, suffer from from stress, from, from, from PTS? No, honestly, I love the job. And I think a lot of things we may talk about are a lot of things that people do after they get PTSD. We have all these wonderful retreats, Boulder Crest, Save a Warrior, uh, the Sparta Project, Warrior's Ascent. You have treatment centers like First Responders First, Simple Recovery, Warrior's Heart. They do all these things after you get PTS or have substance abuse issues. A lot of those things I was doing because of my faith life and my other interests like exercise, meditation, different parts of types of prayer. I wasn't always in therapy, but I was always in something called spiritual direction with priests who are also therapists. So throughout my career, literally every night I came home from a shift and I spent two hours journaling, meditating, praying, and if something bothered me, I had friends that were therapists and I had the spiritual director to reach out to. So I found significant meaning and growth and myself personally and self-discovery, as well as my faith by doing what I call interior work, the spiritual life throughout my career. So there's hard, horrible, sad, angering, evil things you see as a cop but it can be your spiritual and emotional weightlifting if you deal with it and process it. But unfortunately, we start out in the academy with learning, hang out with your buddies and drink, or go hook up, or go buy a toy and do some adrenaline stuff. And because you have all these toys, you gotta work all this overtime. So you're collecting all of these potentially negative experiences, you're not digesting and processing them. And eventually there's gonna be whether it's a divorce, a medical problem, an OIS that kind of breaks, finally like breaks the, the floodgates. So 
I didn't deal with it. I have dealt with it later through a bunch of medical issues. I've had some trauma and stress over that. But uh, during my career, I, I think I did a decent job working on it. So in your, earlier in your your career, you were you know into strength and conditioning. You were a coach for you know some some universities. And so, how important is it to not only be physically fit for the job, but to be mentally fit? Is that is, is that? I mean, where do you rate those two in comparison with each it's, other? It's it's all equal. You got to have your head right. You got to have your heart right, and you got to take care of your body. And unfortunately, what too many people do is maybe people just focus on this or they focus on the body or they focus on spirituality, which is not a bad thing. But if you're completely out of shape, but physically, but super in shape spiritually, but a mess mentally, like that's not good either. So I give equal weight to working on your thinking, working on your heart, your feelings, your emotions and paying attention to your body. Mm -hmm. So what kind of things are you seeing around the country in your travels and when you're, when you're speaking and sharing around the country? What kind of, what, what, are, what are police officers and other first responders dealing with? Well, 2020 is a whole new animal. So these professions, if you didn't do your work, we, we could spend a whole hour talking about the disease rates, the mental health issues, the addiction, substance abuse, divorce, PTSD, suicide in these professions. So these professions are hard, but they're also the most beautiful, exciting, fun professions if you're still finding meaning and you're taking care of yourself. Now add COVID, that's stressed out the whole country. It's taken a lot of your, your community, you're socializing off the table. There's a lot of fear. And for all first responders, but most especially police officers right now, the riots, the looting, the protesting, Everywhere you turn, cops are bad, cops are racist, cops are murderers. Your kids in elementary school, high school, teachers are telling them, your parents are murderers, they're bad. College professors, the celebrities. Right now, police officers have to fear, if I arrest a black guy and he resists arrest, for political reasons, am I gonna get charged with a crime or terminated? Hmm. Am I gonna get death threats and have to move my family? So police officers now have to hesitate and that hesitation could get them killed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are questioning whether I should stay in this profession or now I can't wait to retire. Um, an article just came out in police one, they did a survey, the officers with five to 10 years on actually are indicating significant PTSD, depression and anxiety. And I think they kind of summarize it as those are people that are too far in to quit the profession. But retirement's too far off to use that as like the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. So right now, the racial tensions, its it could be the worst time ever for law enforcement. Cops, and you don't see this all the time, but cops are getting shot, stabbed, Molotov cocktails thrown at them, run over. Even if they're not getting physically attacked, they're getting emotionally attacked at the protest constantly, day in, day out. And you have to wall off your emotions. You have to have people filming you on every call, calling you names, potentially going to smash you with a skateboard, a bat. You don't know if you're going to get shot. And you have to sit there and just take it. And you can't speak your mind at all. Mm -hmm. So cops, retired cops everywhere are triggered right now. You know, and... You know, before we, you know, came on the show, you know, I was telling you about someone that I heard that just walked off 
this this past week just said I quit. Now I don't know what all was going on in this person's life, but I think do you think we'll see more of those kind of things? People just saying, you know, here's my stuff, take it. I'm done. I and my colleagues, when I say my colleagues, uh people that are police psychologists, people that uh work in the peer support world, uh I'm scared for 2021 because we still have the election and everybody's worried we're preparing for riots even before the news said it. You know, months ago people are like after the the pro the election there's going to be more riots. Um so in 2021 what's the fallout going to be with suicide, depression, anxiety? People are retiring early. Um I'm scared unless we start training people which we don't do in this profession, training people how to swim in rough waters. When you become a cop, firefighter or medic, we know you're going to see things that most people see once or twice in their life. Um, but we don't teach them spiritually, emotionally, or psychologically how to take care of themselves. We wait till you're totally out of shape. And how hard is it to get back in shape if you're addicted to McDonald's and smoking and Coca-Cola? Why don't you stay in shape? That's much easier. We don't even prepare people psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. So unless you had it from childhood or your faith, uh, it's like I said, a difficult job already, but now it's scary. So I think we need to ramp up peer support teams, uh, nonprofits that are going to look out for the mental health of first responders, like more people need to step in and we need to have the communities tell first responders, we care about you and we support you. Mm -hmm. Going back to your law enforcement days, what did you do to keep yourself in the, healthy in those three areas? So I worked out every day, obviously. I was, uh, I've always been a nutrition nut since like 12 years old, nutrition and exercise. So I'm like a weirdo with that. Um, early on in my life, I got into meditation and journaling. And then in undergrad, I had some significant football injuries, had a very deep spiritual conversion. So I'm a cradle Catholic, went to church on Sunday. I prayed to be good at football, help me get a good grade on this test. Uh, get me through this hangover and I'll never drink again. That was kind of like my prayer life. And then it's a much longer story, but I had a very deep conversion and took my prayer life seriously. Um, and then got into the contemplative tradition of Christianity and also got into spiritual direction, which in a generic sense, I'll say is seeing someone to talk about your emotional, spiritual, psychological life. If you find somebody that has a background in all those, um, so exercise, good nutrition. I had life balance. So I was a cop, but I was also a coach. So I did all this stuff as a cop and then woke up and went to an Ivy League school and heard these kids talk about their classes, was involved with ministry. So I had a good balance in my life. I had cops, excitement. I had a ministry life. I had my nerdy academic and intellectual friends. Um, so having life balance helped. And I had different routines, so like a very condensed version of my routine at the end. When I started a shift, um, I wrote prayers down and there was uh, like whatever you call it, where the nuns live. There's mm. a house where the uh, poor convent type thing. Mm -hmm. And you can only talk to the mother, the head nun. Mm. And I would have a prayer list and I'd give that to her at the start of the shift if I could. At the end of the shift, if I had time, there was a church that was open all night. They had a security guard that wasn't in that good of an area. 
if I had time at the end of a shift, I went into the church for five minutes and lit a candle in the dark, took a little bit of silence, went in, turned in paper, paperwork, hung out in the locker room with the boys. I drove home in complete silence. And this is what I suggest people try to do. After your shift, put the phone in the center console of the glove compartment and drive home in silence. Don't be jamming music, talking on the phone, drinking beer, eating food, Red Bull, all these things we do to distract ourselves with dealing with our emotions and our thoughts. And then I went home and like I said, I had a, I took a shower to symbolically cleanse myself of the negative energy or whatever things that I saw in the streets or I had good bosses, but some people have bosses that aren't. Took a shower and said, this is getting rid of all the, the junk, the negative karma. I lit candles. And then I went through, for me, it was something called the Ignatian Examine, where I reviewed the shifts and I, what was I thinking? How do I feel about that now? And then I say, do my behaviors and actions when I interacted on that call or, or coaching or with my family, do they line up with the highest ideals I have for myself, with my values, with my beliefs? And if not, what am I going to do the next time in, I'm in that situation? I journaled, if anything really bothered me, I journaled about it, got it off my chest, crumbled it up, threw it away. And then I did a gratitude journal, which, you know, it's paying attention to things through the day, write down three things that you're thankful for. Um, and so, then I so off. Where, where did you learn to do these things? How, I mean, who taught you these things? Because that's not something you just pick up, you know, out of the air. I'm a geek. And so what started in undergrad when I had that conversion, I went, to, so if I have an interest in an area, I go find people that are good at it. If there's an author and I can reach out to them or there's somebody in town that's good at it, I ask to see them and say, how do you do this? So back then there wasn't the internet, but in, in town, like when I was at Colgate, and I, as an example of reaching out, I had a poli-sci professor that I knew was a super passionate evangelical. I started spending time with him. What do you do? to take care of yourself. What does faith mean to you? What does it mean to give your life to God? There was a, a professor who was hardcore Catholic, same with him. I had a Jewish professor, ask him. I went around to the pastors and priests in town, regardless of their denomination. Um, and then buying books. Back then you couldn't get books like you can now on Amazon. So I'd go to the bookstore, go to the religious, the spiritual, the meditation session or section buy books. And the key is it's not information that changes and transforms us. It's the application of that information. Um, and also seminars, retreats, workshops, whether it's going, I, you know, I'd go to a jujitsu workshop, I'd go to a meditation workshop, I'd go to a contemplative prayer workshop and mentors. So a lot for me, it was finding a lot of mentors. Hmm. So we're talking to Matt, Demiansic, and we're talking just about a variety of things. Matt, uh, so if you're watching this thing right now and you have a question for Matt, just put it in the comments and I'll see it and uh, we'll see if uh, we can get to those questions. So uh, feel free to put a question. Uh, have, have, we're, we're getting some great comments. People that are friends of yours, Matt, uh, Matt Fiorenza just said, said what a great <laughs> guy Matt is. So, uh, uh, so anyway, if you have a question for Matt, just uh, put it in the comments and we'll, we'll pass it on. So in, in the course of your career, and did you ever get pushback from colleagues? You're like, well, are you some religious nut or something? Here you are, this big beefy guy that's, you know, done all this stuff, but yet you're, you're praying and you're lighting candles. No, 
And, and this is where I challenge other cops, firefighters like Maddie uh, and medics and veterans to step up because we need to destigmatize and get away from this macho crap. So it worked for me that I was the SWAT guy. I was the strength coach, the football guy. And I've never had anybody say, you're a wimp or you're a dork. And if they did, I would laugh because I took care of business as a cop. I was an aggressive, proactive cop. I could shoot. I could fight. You wanted me on your calls if they went south. Um, so, yeah, my SWAT buddies would leave voicemails like, oh, we know you're probably meditating. You're at a prayer group. Come on, dude. Hang out with us. You've got to chase some girls every once in a while. Even the, the college strength coaches did that. But I always felt that part of my calling um, was to be somebody that had their man card but would also demonstrate to others through through behavior, not preaching, that you can have faith and be spiritual and you're not a dork or a geek, um, that you can be emotional. I cry all the time about, I've watched movies and I cry, I hear a sad story, or a, I, I see somebody walking down the street holding hands, an elderly couple, and it gets me choked up or I get goosebumps. So be a dude that can take care of business and tell people it's okay to go to therapy or go to church, the synagogue, the mosque, or meditation and yoga doesn't mean your X, Y, Z things I don't want to say on your podcast. But we have this horrible macho mentality in all the first responder professions um, and in the military. Um, and, and looking like I do does help. It's not on purpose. But, you know, I've done things with veterans where I share a little bit of my story and then afterwards, uh, one by one, they'll want my information. We get coffee and they will literally say things like, man, you look like an alpha male, but you really go to therapy or you really meditate, journal, do yoga. I'm like, yeah, we all should be doing that. And for those that don't know Maddie, Maddie speaks in front of peer support groups and he's this tatted up fireman dude that has like gnarly stories. So it helps destigmatize it when people step forward. So if you're out there and you're a supervisor, a commander, or you're a narc gang unit, you're aggressive graveyard cop. And if you've had problems and gone to therapy or you have some kind of faith life or you do yoga or meditation, there's a million ways to take care of yourself. I'm throwing out some of the same ones, but we need to talk about like, that's normal rather than, oh man, you, you got to suck this up. You can't hack this. That's a big problem in these professions. How important is it to really understand and live and walk your purpose? I will say something. Well, first of all, in law enforcement, we need that. One of the biggest stressors in a first responder's life is if your supervisors, command staff, or chief does not understand the troops or is somebody picked for political reasons, and never was that hardcore street person, so they don't have credibility, or they're a political puppet and they may throw you under the bus. Like that's major stress. I've had a couple commanders looking back that were people that stayed in shape, had a balanced life and cared about the troops. And wow, what a big difference that makes. And then for each of us, uh, one of my favorite quotes since I was an undergrad, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but I don't think he really said it. Um, and for those of you who don't know who he is, you've seen the statutes of the monk dude with a potato sack and a rope for a belt. And he has a bald circle on his head, a bird on his hand, a dog and a deer around him. So the animals are around this monk dude. 
The quote goes, preach the gospel at all times. When absolutely necessary, use words. So walk the talk, live out your values, and people will respect you. And that's how you get credibility, not preaching, not judging, and not just trying to fix people and give unsolicited advice. So, um, yeah, you got to be authentic first to yourself, but forget about influencing other people. If you're not doing that, you're not having a good relationship, authentic relationship with yourself. And that's in these professions where people tend to self-medicate. That's where you're going to be drinking tobacco, buying the toys, sex, gambling, porn, what, a variety of ways, adrenaline activities to avoid dealing with your inner self. So really it comes down to if you really want to manage the stress in your life, whether you're in law enforcement, a first responder, or just a guy like me, it really comes down to having a plan to taking care of, of your spirit, soul, and body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that's and just, we uh, what, if you want to be successful at these and these professions, if you want to survive these professions, then that becomes paramount, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like I said a little bit, and we talked about this before we went on the air, we wait until people are drowning in our professions. And then we say, maybe we'll give you a therapist. And then you got to find a therapist that even understands first responders. Or let's go to a retreat. And for five days, you're going to eat healthy, do yoga, meditation, journal, do some group sharing, which is so important. And if that helps people after they're hurting, like, why aren't we doing that early on? We need to be implementing these things throughout our careers. Have you seen agencies who are doing that, who are, who are starting maybe even at the academy and starting to train their officers and their people you know, early on? I think there might be two agencies, and I, I'm sure there are others. Most people don't even have good peer support units if they even have it at all, or they don't have access to mental health. Um, Seattle PD, and if somebody's interested, reach out to Jeremy Wade of Seattle PD. Unfortunately, this year, because they're at like the epicenter of craziness, it's probably been knocked off track, but they started doing proactive wellness as part of peer support. So they have a, a full-time officer that's like a jujitsu competitor and instructor that does proactive defensive tactics stuff. They have another full-time officer that was a strength coach and into fitness and exercise physiology. Jeremy goes out and gives lectures on the importance of sleep, stress management, and a million other topics. So it's, it's very proactive, not reactive, which also destigmatizes peer support. Uh, you only go to peer support when you have PTSD. And they only reach out to the people that are messed up. No, they're out there doing proactive things. I think, unfortunately, it's probably maybe not going to be on the same trajectory we hope for in Seattle because of the budget cuts and the stuff going on. But Seattle PD was trying to implement these things. I think San Antonio PD, I'm pretty sure that's the right department. They employ like sports performance psychologists and do proactive things. Um, I know that I think Santa Monica PD and Tustin PD are two departments I've heard that have anonymous blind billing free therapy. So officers can go to therapy and the department never knows they even went. There's no worry about fit for duty. My boss doesn't know. There's no stigma with my peers. And it's paid for. Um, and it's paid for. Hmm. Instead of work comp, 
nightmare. They're going to want to deny everything. EAP, I've had a lot of cops, even when I was a cop, and even now, you go through EAP and you get somebody who tells you they're a feminist and they don't like cops, or you tell them a story and they start crying and like they've never even heard something that a fireman or a cop has seen. Um, so there are some departments that are doing some good things and I'm sure there are ones out there that I don't know about. And if they listen to this, please contact me. I would love to hear about it. I'd love to come hang out and visit with you because we need to network and push more proactive, very holistic mind, body, spirit, wellness for first responders. I know one of our uh, advisory members is uh, with a, a department in, I think it's Garland, Texas. They're doing some really amazing things there. And I think he's like the wellness officer for his department. And and so they're doing some great things. I can connect you to him. Uh, in awesome. fact, I'm working to try to get Jeremy on the show at some point from Seattle. So Jeremy and Perfect. I have some emails and we're hoping to get him on the show to talk about what they're doing there. Uh, and especially now during all the, all the all the chaos that's going on there in Seattle, I'm sure things have ramped up as far as stress and all that, all that stuff. So it'd be interesting to see what's going on there. And if uh, I might have told you about Dr. John Becknell, he's mm -hmm. the one that I also do retreats with. He's the one that trained Jeremy and Seattle Fire uh, and PD peer support teams. He does all this proactive stuff. So he may he doesn't deal with police departments as much. But so he knows paramedic agencies and fire departments that are doing this stuff. And I know there are fire departments that have yoga. There may be a couple of police departments. I think NYPD is trying to push. I think NYPD is trying to push a proactive wellness program. But John Becknell may know police uh, or not police, fire and paramedic organizations that are doing some of this stuff. I mean, what what needs to be done to get more agencies to make make this a priority? Well, first of all, we got budget problems. COVID has hurt the economy. So even if people have programs, I don't know what's going to happen because of budget cuts. Police departments, all this defund the police, that's not going to be a priority. And the departments that do do things are often in response to, like NYPD has had so many suicides. I don't know what they were doing before that racked up, but just it's unfortunate that we have to be reactive in this profession. But as bad as it is this year for first responders, next year there's going to be a fallout. And we still don't know when COVID's going to end or the racial tensions. So I don't have an answer to that because I'm not command staff. I'm not a chief. It takes leaders to prioritize it, to give a budget for it, and be aggressive about it. And they have to be leaders that are respected because, unfortunately, I do see seminars sometimes that are about mental health. And then if you know some of the people on the the panel, they're in departments that have the worst morale, where they want the chief to resign, the union, the retirement admin asked the chief to resign, and they're on a panel about mental health. So you have to have people up top that push it, but are respected. And then something else like, so Maddie has simple recovery. I also volunteer at First Responders First, they're treatment centers for first responders only. Um, we put on me and Becknell and Jeremy Wade and a, a number of other police psychologists and spiritual people put on these retreats when it's not COVID. Um, the outside things sometimes are more appealing. So if there's more outsiders doing things, there's another group called the Resiliency Project. 
I also volunteer for Wounded Blue, Randy Sutton. That does a lot of peer support for injured, disabled cops. Uh, Copline, Stephanie Samuels is a badass police therapist out of Jersey. It's a 24-7 hotline for cops. When it's not connected to an agency, sometimes people uh, feel more comfortable because they don't feel like it might get them in, on the rubber gun squad or fit for duty, or they have to worry about the stigma thing. So more of these groups from the outside, because we may not have the budgets from the inside or the trust and respect, if we can get more people funding things and even like your movie, if your movie brings awareness and people donate to you and then you're networking people, I think that will save lives. Well, we hope so. That's one reason we're making the effort to make the movie. We hope to save lives. We hope to change some institutional things that have been kind of set in stone for many, many years. We hope to change some, some or inspire change in agencies to be proactive. And you know, I, and I don't have the numbers behind us to back it up, but I would think that it's much less expensive to keep people healthy than it is to fix the broken. This goes for all training, all these issues in police work. When you see something ugly that a cop does, even if it's justified, a lot of times I want to see their training record. How much defensive tactics have they had? Have they had any physical fitness requirements or incentives after the academy? Have they had stress inoculation scenario training? Because that is key to be able to perform under pressure. So I can tell you right now, so stress, across the country. So, so, so I'm going to stop you there. Stress inoculation training? That scenario scenario training. Stress, so what is that? Well, that could be with the computer system, shoot, no shoot. But more importantly, doing role playing where you don't know what it is. You walk into a room and you have protective suits, preferably called high gear. So you can do your defensive tactics movements and shoot. And you have real guns with basically plastic bullets that still hurt. So you train just like an athlete has to, you work out in football without pads. Then you put half pads on 50% butt up. Then we put full pads and we scrimmage and we scrimmage before we get in the game. Law enforcement does a bunch of flag football. And then we don't know when your full contact game is going to be. And you don't want the first time you've been punched in the face to be on the street because there's that nasty psychological and physiological response to stress and violence. And if you have not been acclimated to that through training, you're in trouble. Hmm. And we just don't do that enough in law enforcement, but we know this works. These are things like, if you read Dave Grossman's books, most people in law enforcement have read Dave Grossman's books. You need to do a bunch of scenario training. You need to be shooting. You need to be doing defensive tactics. So athletes, train 95% of their career and compete 5% of the time. If that, for a win or a loss in the scoreboard, hmm. a police officer is on game day every day. They don't know when their Super Bowl is going to be, that their life may depend on being able to fight, being fit, being able to shoot. And we train a little bit in academy and worry about a bunch of check-the-box liability things. We don't even do enough. And then you get out of the academy and it's like you might shoot paper targets once or twice a year with no stress. But your real shooting is under heavy adrenaline dump. You're ducking behind a car in dark getting shot at, at a shooting at a moving target. So training 
Also, the people that are fit and confident and shooting and fighting and stress inoculated are way better at communication, de-escalation and community policing. When you're confident, you don't have to use force. You can keep talking and, you know, there's calls where I've seen people that are confident, they're talking, somebody else pulls a taser, a baton, OC spray or a gun. And the guy that's the CrossFit and jujitsu nuts like, hang on, chill out. I got this. I can take care of this. Now, upfront training, that stuff, but also the psychological and emotional training. I mean, let's integrate some journaling and some meditation or breath work and yoga in the police academy. And there's a bunch. That stuff is cheaper than a bad shooting that sparks off your whole city being burned down. So kind of comparing the athlete, you know, who does the 95% training and 5% on the field. And here you're having life and death situations and the athletes playing for the trophy, the, you know, the flag that they can hang in their, their mm -hmm. locker room or whatever, but this is life and death on the streets. And so if the training is, you know, 10% and then 90% is on the field, that's really backwards. It is. Even the military trains up, especially the special forces units. We're going to deploy this next time period. We're getting after it. We're hitting the shoot house. We're hitting the weights. We're doing this. We're doing that. And guess what? Even special forces guys have psychology, sports psychologists, clinical psychologists, float tanks, meditation training, sports medicine. They get taken care of like our athletes have help with nutrition, the mental, the recovery. All this stuff, but cops, firefighters, nah, you know. I mean, I mean, it's been I, argued, you know, for you know, my wife's an educator. She's been, you know, she taught for twenty five years and now is an assistant principal. And you know, she also often and seen her colleagues often complain that you know, here these athletes go out there fresh. I mean, some of them fresh out of high school and they get some contract worth millions, you know. And yet a teacher or a cop or a firefighter, they get, you know, pennies to the dollar compared to what an athlete who's just playing for a stupid prize, you know, award, a trophy. Mm -hmm. you know, it's really we're in a backward society that yeah. we, we treat our first responders and those who do the important work to keep us healthy and educated and alive. And, you know, and we treat them so much less than some athlete that you know scored a touchdown mm -hmm. what needs we to, need what, to train what we need to do what what, what how can we change well, that? I, well just my last agency i tried one so when i was hurt the last two or three years i was at the academy and i rebuilt a weight room the best i could like a division one weight room and and i had strongman equipment i had ton i had ground and pound dummies muay thai bags uppercut bags and I made the workout sports specific to law enforcement. I got supplement companies. Muscle Milk used to sponsor me. They were super pro law enforcement. They shipped me all these new nutrition products to give away free to police officers. So throughout the day, I might have SWAT workout, gang, jump out workout, patrol could show up workout. And we did an active dynamic warm up. We did very uh strength conditioning like an athlete would and then our conditioning was combatives based so it was intervals but doing the defensive tactics moves on all that equipment and then afterwards i would have people lay down and we would do deep breathing i didn't say we're going to do yoga or performance psych right but i'd have them do deep breathing 
I would do things like progressive muscle relaxation, which people can look up. Then I would do imagery and I would talk like we're on a radio call and have them work through things and keep breathing. And I had, I did a lot of stuff with heart rate monitors back then. I had these things called stress erasers. They were heart rate variability trainers that now people can do on their phone. So I tried to do more of that. And I had a program called Train to Win, which was voluntary. It was a whole day of all that scenario training. We, we opened up with some Dave Grossman, some Tony Blauer stuff, which he's a great guy that if people are not familiar with, should learn about the SPEAR system. Dr. Paul Whitesell, clinical psychologist, superintendent of the Indiana State Police combat vet. He has good material on combat psychology. Two hours of classroom. This is the physiology and psychology of stress. This is what you should be doing, whether the department trains you or not, because this is life or death stuff. This is your life insurance. This is your responsibility to your brothers and sisters, to the community. Don't cry if you're not getting paid overtime to go train. Take care of business. The, the individual has some responsibility too. And then I had all the SWAT and the tactical narcotics jump out guys as my instructors. And it was a, a full day of balls to the wall scenario training, getting that stress inoculation stuff. But it took work. It took battling. I had to have, thank God, there was a couple of people in command staff that bought in. So some of the lower ranking people that are like, this is a pain in the ass. It's too much work, too much logistics, rods, retired on duty. I don't care about the cops in the street. I got a gravy train job and admin or at the academy. So it was a battle to do all that stuff. So there's going to have to be people within agencies that fight for this type of stuff and know that you're going to hit roadblocks. And then you got to find people that champion your cause at higher ranks. Man, if you can get, if you can get someone in, you know, most agencies around the country, just one person to kind of take this on and to, to really spearhead that, what could happen? What, what could change? A lot of things. And, and we don't have the budgets for it, but this is a pie in the sky daydream. Everybody's criticizing the police. If it's a six month Academy to check the box with all that, liability stuff to be certified by your state or post or whatever it is, extend the academy two months more and four days a week, every day, defensive tactics sessions, tactical shooting session, strength conditioning session. And in between those, the journaling, small group sharing, breath work, uh, the yoga, the Tai Chi, Capacitar, Qi Gong, whatever other stress management, self-care. And then on, so Monday through Thursday, stress management, self-care, DT, firearms, and fitness. And on Friday, a full day of scenario training. So the last two months of your training are like you're getting ready to deploy. You're a special forces unit getting ready to deploy. And then you hit the streets and you're really in shape, mind, body, spirit, and, you and you're stress inoculated. You will have eight full days of scenario training, which some cops have probably never had in their whole 20 or 30 year career. Hmm. So do it up front, and then you're going to have to do it regularly. However many times a year, we're going to do some defensive tactics, and it might be like a retreat. Let's do a three-day, four-day retreat. We're going to defensive tactics. We're going to shoot. We're going to meditate. We're going to journal. We're going to do scenarios. You have to keep it up. Your kids and youth sports train and high school sports train more in a week than a cop gets and shooting and fighting and fitness in a year. Think about that. As a civilian, that's that's scary to know that we have law enforcement officers out there that aren't ready or, or aren't, you know, don't have the adequate training. 
on a regular basis. I mean, that, that's, that's my belief. You can have some chief on here and the no, our guys are taking, they can't say that, right? Because now there's a liability for failure to train. But if you talk, I think if you talk to people that really understand training and you take an expert like Tony Blau or Dave Grossman and you ask them, are cops, are what agencies are doing enough of that? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know anybody who is. Mm -hmm. And I did a study with my full-time SWAT team uh, and heart rate monitors and I had a whole day of scenarios. And I took patrol people of different experience and put them through the scenarios. And we looked at the heart rates and to just summarize it very quickly, Patrol people, depending on their experience, and if they weren't a combat vet, their heart rates often are all over the place. Is it because they're physically out of shape? They're not stress inoculated? They're not confident in their firearms or their defensive tactics? And then SWAT heart rates are like, it blips, comes right back down. And SWAT gets a scenario done in four minutes. Patrol took eight minutes and made 100 mistakes, and they were screaming. And I didn't do that to say, oh, SWAT's a bunch of badasses. They're better than patrol. I went to command staff fell on deaf ears for the most part and said SWAT's good at this because they work out every day. They shoot all the time. They're in the shoot house. They do scenario training and they're kicking in doors on a regular basis. They're the most prepared. This is an effect of training, but the school shooting, the mall shooting, all the crises, SWAT is not first. Right. It's the lone one or two patrol guys. Mm -hmm. They need more training. And this our PTSD or the fallout from calls emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, some of it's because people aren't prepared, hmm. you know? So you, you had talked, you, you mentioned several times about journaling. We had a question from one of our viewers. So Stephanie said, what kind of journaling do you do? And can you recommend any books that can be purchased to help, you know, you know respond to, to journaling? Oh, whoever that person is, get my email because I probably do have some books, but they're not popping in my head right now. So anybody that has any questions, please, about any of this, reach out. We can talk on the phone, or if you're you're in Southern California, we can meet. Um, when it comes to books, I'd have to look through my library or think a little bit. Um, but there's a million ways to journal, like there's a million ways to pray and meditate. The way I suggest starting, like I said, is if there's something that's bothering you, let it flow. Don't filter, get it off your chest. And then in a ritual sense, burn it in the fireplace or in the backyard, shred it or rip it up and say, I want to let go of this. And if you have to do it again tomorrow over that incident, keep doing it. But also journal the things I'm grateful for. And there's a ton of science behind gratitude journaling, what I'm thankful for. And trust me, no matter how bad your shift is, there's things to be thankful for. I'm retired. I miss the guys in the locker room pulling pranks on each other. I miss getting to help people. I miss seeing cute kids or sweet old people out on the streets um, or just having good buddies. Corporate America people or other jobs don't have the type of friendships you do as a cop or a firefighter or a medic because your lives are like really blood, sweat and tears and life and death together. So embrace those friendships beyond drinking and numbing together. Um, I'm sorry I can't think of a book, but I wish you would reach out to me and I will find below here. You can people can look at okay. your email address and uh, you know, send Matt an email. He'll respond to you. And I'm sure that uh, you guys can have a conversation. But, uh, you know, speaking of journaling, it's something that I've tried off and on just myself to get my you know notepad out and just, you know, make an entry. But it, it's something that I haven't been consistent at. 
And how do you get into a habit of doing this regularly? And what's that work for you? Well, first of all, I wouldn't judge yourself and beat yourself up with journaling or things like meditation. Because if we make our grounding, centering, calming practices or spiritual practices, if we make them homework, it's detracting from it helping you. So if journaling is helpful and you only do it once every couple of weeks, like don't beat yourself up about it. But developing habits, again, this is the spiritual and emotional weightlifting. The same effort it takes to go to the gym or to prepare for a triathlon um, is the same effort we have to put into our emotional, spiritual, and psychological lives. Like, unfortunately, it is work. So um, a, an acronym just popped in my head that my favorite theology professor teaches, and it's PEPS. And it's prayer, exercise, play, and study. And so if for 20 minutes a day, five minutes a day to each of those areas, prayer, you don't have to be religious. Just think of prayer as anything that helps you be present in the moment and feel peace or joy, or you, you're just, you melt. Like it's playing with my friend's dog is my, could be my prayer. Um, Anything that reminds you of the presence of God or the presence of sacredness. Exercise is, is obvious. Do some physical activity. Even a 10-minute walk can lower your, your blood pressure and your blood sugar and clear your head. Play, get in touch with your inner child, whatever that is. Um, this is I struggle at because I'm too anal retentive and serious. But find some hobbies or some things to do. Just let loose and enjoy life. And then study is do something intellectual. Keep learning books. Learn an instrument take up a new hobby. Um, I don't know why that just popped in my head. You're asking about how to develop habits. Maybe you need, maybe some people, if they have a therapist, ask, ask your therapist, hey man, I need to get better at this. Or ask your friends. You have a small group of friends that hold you accountable. Hey, let's start a journaling practice. Or if it's exercise, or let's get together and do some small group sharing about the things that are bothering us and things we want to improve in our lives. We all need friends and mentors um, that are authentic, emotionally intelligent, not going to judge us and not try to fix us. Hmm. You know, I know you're involved with a number of organizations that do retreats and do, uh, can you kind of go over some of those? What, what do they do there and how can they, how can someone sign up or, or get involved? I know COVID's kind of changed some things, but, uh, yeah. So, um, right now, well, I'm not involved with Boulder Crest, Save a Warrior, Warriors Ascent, or Sparta Project, but I suggest people look into those. If you have a friend or a coworker that's struggling with substance or mental health, look up First Responders First, Simple Recovery, uh, Warrior's Heart. There may be others. I'm sure there are. Um, myself, John Becknell, Jeremy Wade, Father Jim Clark, and a, a number of other people, our retreats are on hold, but keep in touch with me. Um, we are doing talks through Loyola Marymount University this month, every Thursday night. Myself, John Becknell, and Father Jim are doing talks because LMU is also going to host one-day workshops and retreats. Because this work like, is... Are they like, you know, a, a live thing like this program or are they, are they on Facebook? They're live and they're recorded. Them? Okay. Loyola Marymount University's Facebook page for the, the Center for Spirituality and Religion. And if you can't find it, email me. So we did one last night, the first one. So that's recorded. We The next three Thursdays, and we may do them 
into the future. Then once COVID restrictions lift, we're going to do them at Loyola Marymount University and at locations in Southern California. And we were annually doing one up in Washington on Orca Island, which was amazing. You live on an island for four days. You have a little cabin along the ocean and you're just immersed in nature with other first responders. And instead of, we talk about these, you can only learn these through experience. Everybody has information about exercise and nutrition with the internet now, but we have problems with obesity and diabetes like crazy because people aren't applying that information. The spiritual and psychological and emotional work is even harder to understand without experiencing it. So that's why on the retreats and even these treatment centers, like uh, to experience it is to learn it. Um, but right now with COVID, we can't. And then locally in the South Bay, I was just about to start a contemplative, which is like a mindful, uh, silent prayer group at my church that was going to be open to all first responders and veterans. So if you're in Los Angeles and that interests you, we're going to do when COVID lifts, we're going to do that. And then something called way of counsel, which is a way to do small group sharing that some people may have experienced on meditation, yoga, spirituality retreats. And then we're also going to do, and I will admit, I stole this from an organization called Merging Vets and Players. So any veterans out there listening, look that group up. They get prof former professional athletes and veterans together, and they do an MMA workout or a CrossFit workout, then they get together and share. And I want to do that for first responders and veterans where we might, I'm going to get Tony Blauer. If I can raise money, Tony Blauer gives a free session on defensive tactics. Then we're going to do some small group sharing. Then we're going to eat some red meat and hang out and have fun without having to get drunk and do things like that. I want to do some tactical shooting. Then maybe we do some meditation or yoga. I mean, combine these things and destigmatize it. You can be a warrior and you can be a lover and you can be emotional and sentimental and still get the job done. Um, so those are some things that are all on hold because of COVID. Hmm. Well, Matt, it's been a fascinating conversation and thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for what you're doing in the first responder community. And uh, just my hats off to you and, and your team and people you work with for helping our first responders get better. And that's what we need more of. We need more people that are helping others get better. And because then our communities can be better places. And our, our uh, you know, when we dial 911, we can expect to have healthy people show up to our emergencies. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's vitally important for our communities to to know that they have, that we have healthy people who are out there on the streets who are responding to emergencies. And I think uh, for the work you're doing, you know, we need many more people like you. And I know there's some amazing other people out there that we've talked to over the, over the course of the last year or you know, a few months. And, and uh, so my, my congratulations to you. Thank you for your service. And thank you for the work that you're continuing to do. I know people, you may be interested in learning more about you. I'm going to pull up your website here, and uh, we can we can check it out. It's uh, globalassociates.org slash Matt hyphen, and I always get messed up with your last name. <laughs> <laughs> you got it right, Dom Yancic, but anything Dom Yancic, works. Yeah, so you can go check it out there, and I'll uh, once this uh, video posts, I'll put the link in the comments so people can uh, go directly to this site. And also we have uh, Matt's email address down here below. If you want to get in touch with Matt, that's the best way to get in touch with him. 
and uh, you can learn more about what he's up to and, and connect with him directly. Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Stick around after I kind of wrap up some things, and we'll we'll wrap up offline. Uh, thanks again for being on First Responder Friday. Thank you. So you have been watching First Responder Friday. My name is Conrad Weaver, and I want to give you a little heads up as to what's coming up in the next in the near future. We have some more amazing conversations next week. We have Michael Sugru is going to be with us. He is um, a trainer, and he works in PTSI awareness, prevention, education, and he's going to be with us for First Responder Friday. Be sure to join us next Friday at 12 noon for that conversation. And then just a little sneak peek as to who's coming up in the in the future. Uh, we have on October 23rd, Tracy Eldridge is going to join us and talking. She's a 911 dispatcher and been working that those kind of agencies for a while. And then November 6th, Patrick Welsh will be joining us. And he is a fascinating guy that I got to meet uh, on what was a LinkedIn, I think we connected and I think you'll enjoy his conversation. Then November 20th, Samantha Sam Horwitz is going to be with us. She is a former Secret Service agent and was uh, at in New York City on 9-11 and has an amazing story uh, with the struggles that she went through post 9-11. And so she's going to be joining us on November 20th. Got a few open dates there that we're, we're, we're working to book. And so be sure to uh, follow us on Facebook to, to learn where uh, who's coming up in the future shows. Again, my name is Conrad Weaver. Thank you for joining us. This has been First Responder Friday. I hope you have a great day. Stay safe out there. And if you're a first responder, thank you for your service.